This is a presentation of BSRN, Box Studios Radio Network. Hi, this is Don Biggs from the 92-93 Binghamton Rangers. Hi, this is Brandon Butchins. This is Grady Wittenberg, the voice of the Binghamton Senators, and you're listening to the Power Play Post Show. Hi, I'm Corey Cowick, left wing for the Binghamton Senators, and you're listening to Bob Howard on the Power Play Post Show. And hello, everybody. Welcome to another edition of the Power Play Post Show. This is the show for May 4th, 2023, and I'm glad to have you guys back. This is episode 381 in the long-running Power Play Post Show. This is season 12, episode number 8. No guests this week. I just want to throw that out there. I kind of want to just go back and kind of recap uh, what uh, just basically what happened last weekend with the Binghamton Black Bears versus the Danbury Hattricks. I am going to play a couple segments from my two interviews with Gino D'Angelo and, of course, with Tyson Kirkby, who was on last week. And just a couple things, a couple favorite moments from those two. So you'll hear a little bit of a break from my voice uh, at some point during this podcast. Um, so I want to thank everybody for listening. Number one, I want to thank everybody who is subscribed to Spotify or maybe they subscribed to the Apple podcast portion of it. However you listen, thank you very much. I really appreciate it. Um, coming back has been kind of nice. There have been some people who have been on the show in the past who reached out to me and, uh, seemed uh, pretty happy that I have brought the show back. And, uh, so I'm very excited about that, uh, you know, the future, uh, what, what I can do. And, you know, I'm working on a, a guest next week, uh, potentially, uh, I'm thinking about, uh, reaching out and asking for a particular person. And if that works out, I'll let everybody know on Facebook and on Twitter, um, about that. So we'll see what happens and everything. I know a lot of the Binghamton fans are a little disappointed in the outcome of the Danbury series, and I think a lot of the fans are also very proud and very happy that, first of all, that we still have uh, hockey in Binghamton. Uh, We've uh, gone 50 years now with some sort of professional hockey team in Binghamton, and I just think that it's, um, you know, a pretty pretty good run for a city. You know, we've had all different levels of hockey. I think double A with the UHL, triple A obviously with the various American Hockey League teams. We've now got single A, and but it's just really good that uh, the players and the ownership and uh, you know everybody involved in the Binghamton Black Bears are so good in getting involved with the community. Uh, It's really nice to see how the fans have kind of rallied around the uh, players bidding on some of the merchandise. Now, to me, it breaks my heart a little bit that these guys can't keep some of this merchandise, but they're selling it so they can play next year. They're doing it so they can get through the summer, so they can come back and play again. I get the storyline. It doesn't mean that it's not, you know, still a a moment where you go, man, these guys just don't make enough money in this league. And I, I have opinions on that, and I'm going to save those opinions for another podcast sometime this summer 
talking about the state of the Federal Prospects Hockey League and some of the things that they could change. I was speaking with somebody last night, and I'm not even going to give you a clue who I was speaking with, and we both agree um, on some of these points that I'll talk about in a podcast later on and whatnot, Um, but I will not indulge uh, anybody on who I was talking to in that particular case, but it was, you know, somebody that provided a very interesting conversation, and uh, I really appreciate that person for taking the time to, to talk to me and everything. Uh, let's talk a little bit about the Danbury series, okay? So the Black Bears lose to Danbury in three games for the second straight season. If you remember last year, they lost to the Danbury Hattricks in the first round of the Commissioner Cup playoffs, uh, basically the same way. Uh, they won the first game, and then they lost the second second game in the third game. So uh, they win game one, 6-1 to one on Friday night in Binghamton. Austin Thompson scored the first goal of the game at the 151 mark. Lopez and Lewis both had the assist, putting the Black Bears up one nothing early in the game, 151 mark, obviously. Hattricks then got a power play goal at the 18-13 mark of the first period from Lucas DiBenedette. Uh, Sheehan and uh, McDonald assisted on the tally. This left the two teams tied at one goal piece going into the first intermission. I thought it was... Pretty good first period. This left the two teams. Okay, so the first period saw two power play goals for the Black Bears, who did not capitalize on those chances. But the hat tricks uh, did on their one man-up advantage, uh, which is kind of like a reversal of how the regular season went between these two teams. Joseph had eight saves in the period, while Wilson had to work a little harder and had 16 saves. In the second period, on a set play, Connor Smith sent the puck in on Wilson, allowing Colin Fitzgerald who was trailing in behind, a little off to the side, and tapped in the rebound to make it 2-1. Smith and Anderson with the assists. Uh, Connor Smith just, you know, the stuff that he was doing in the in the regular season and now into the playoffs was pretty impressive. Then 27 seconds later, Tyson Kirkby scored to make it 3-1 as he tapped in a Gavin Yates shot. Uh, that shot was probably going to go in anyways, but Tyson made sure it went in. Kind of stole, uh, stole a little bit of a... Uh, you know, goal there, but that's okay. That's okay. At the 625 mark of the second period, Tobias Ocek boarded JT Walters and received a five-minute major in a game misconduct. Walters was bleeding very badly after the game and left the game. What's interesting about this, there's been a lot of talk, obviously, about this hit that Ocek did. Now, what's interesting, and this is something I wanted to bring up because not a lot of people were talking about it. After the hit, Ochtick was over by center ice, and uh, uh, Schultz was actually standing there talking to him. He wasn't trying to go after him. I think he was, and I was listening to Brooks Hill. Uh, Brooks, you did a great job, and I, I think you 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 captured, or maybe it was Alex that captured the fact that Schultz was just talking to him. And I think he was probably explaining to him, and I agree with the broadcast team here, that he was probably saying, hey, that was not a good hit. It was probably not a safe hit. Um, and, you know, maybe you should you know, think about those hits a little bit better before you do that. There's a couple things there. Um, some people thought there was a slew fit. Um, there might have been. I didn't really see the slew fit in the, in the, uh, in the video replays. But I saw the motion of the foot by Ojdik. And so whether or not he did slew foot him, I'm not really too 100% sure on. 
What I didn't like about it was is when his stick was underneath the face guard and then he pulls it out. That's the part that is negligent and kind of scared me a little bit. But it was a very hot topic. Um, he did not get suspended for that. Um, Amesbury was the only one that got suspended from that game. So uh, very interesting there. Donald Oliveri scored on the power play for the Black Bears to make it 4-1 at that point. The second period ended with the Black Bears now leading 4-1, which saw two boarding calls called on the hat-tricks and an elbowing call. They ended the period with a fight between Matthew Bullard and Zachary uh, Pamelon, uh, where we saw Bullard take his opponent down with one punch. Second time in two weeks that that's happened with the Black Bears. Gavin Yates uh, took down a uh, Watertown Wolf with uh, one punch as well. In the third period, Daniel Ensbury, uh, five-minute major for kneeing on Connor Smith, who left the game, never returned in the series as well. Tyson Kirkby scored his second goal of the game to make it 5-1. to one. Also want to note, Connor Smith uh, was suspended one game. Really no explanation of why, because he didn't get any uh, penalties. The only thing I saw, he did grab a guy, spun him around, was facing him, and then pushed him back, and then the guy fell and hit his head. Whether he was suspended for that or for a potential kicking motion towards somebody, I really don't know. If anybody knows for sure 100%, I would really like to know. You can always just you know reach me at all the different avenues that you can reach me and let me know. Chad Lopez then made it 6-1 after a nice pass from Gavin Yates at the 10.56 mark of the third period. Dane Berry will likely be down two men on Saturday, which they weren't. They were only down Daniel Ensbury uh, because they both received five-minute majors for boarding on JT Walters and then deliberately, deliberately kneeing Connor Smith. And I say that because he headhunted here. And if you watch the video of what Daniel Ansbury did, and listen, I'm going to say this. He might be a nice guy off the ice. A lot of these guys are. I can tell you right now that all the interviews I did with players, okay, I interviewed some of the toughest guys in the American Hockey League for 10 years, okay? The Brett Gallants, uh, the Jimmy Bonos. These are guys that dropped the gloves and fought. And probably had a player or two that may have looked shady on the ice. But I can tell you right now, super nice guys off the ice. So just because he's nice off the ice doesn't mean he can't be dangerous on the ice. And I just think he is. He's been suspended more times than anybody probably this season combined. That's how many times he's uh, missed games. And he didn't even play the other two games. He was also, he only played one game against uh, Elmira. Uh, they only needed two games, but they, he only played in one game. He's only there to cause trouble. Whether that, that's coming from the coach or just how he plays, and the coach knows that and still lets him do that, I don't know. And he might be the nicest guy off the ice. But what he does on the ice is very dangerous. One of the things that FPHL's got to change if they really want their league to be taken seriously by any of the upper leagues. Dan Barry played physical, a bit dirty, I'll stand by that, and desperate as the Black Bears' skill and commitment to their game frustrated the hat-tricks. 12, ba- uh, 12 Black Bear players got on the score sheet Friday night with Gavin Yates leading the way with his three assists. Taylor Joseph was 
is on a streak at this point leading up into this game uh, with a six-game win streak at the end of the regular season and now three games in the playoffs. That's a nine-game win streak for Joseph. He has been impressive. And even in the two losses coming up, he was still very impressive. Now, here's a final note. This is a fun one. Tyson Kirkby came on the Power Play Post show last week and, well, two weeks ago. And the first game afterwards, scored two goals for the Black Bears. Congrats to Tyson. And I basically ask everybody who wants to be the next one on the Power Play Post show. Hey, just saying. It worked in my American Hockey League days. It can work here. You can come on the show and score goals afterwards. Um, game number two, they lose to Danbury in Danbury, 5-2 to two on Saturday night. This game was a lot closer than what the score sheet will say. Both teams started uh, the same goalies, Brian Wilson for the Hattricks, Taylor Joseph for the Black Bears. They both uh, played in game three as well. Uh, no scoring in the first period. The Hattricks led in the shots on goal category 14-11, to um, which was interesting because usually Black Bears lead usually in these particular cases when it comes to shots on goal. I would say both teams had three grade-A chances each in the first period, uh, but it felt like they were feeling each other out, kind of. It's kind of weird, right? Game number two and you're still feeling each other out, but that's kind of what it felt like. But I think that was a design plan by the Hattricks. I think the Hattricks really tried to go toe-to-toe, run and gun with the Black Bears on Friday. You can't do that. You just can't do that. This team's makeup right now, the way Brant Sherwood and Andreas Johansson have these guys, you know, uh, designed and put together, you can't run and gun with these guys. Now, maybe next year will be a little bit different. Who knows? We don't know what the makeup is going to be. We don't know what players are going to go where and who who's going to still be around. But without a doubt, these guys definitely um, are, are definitely – a team that you just can't run and gun against, okay? So that's the very important thing here. Um, Michael Marchand broke the 0-0 tie in the second period after a defensive breakdown in front of Taylor Joseph, which led to Marchand beating Joseph glove-side high and hitting the post, and it hit the post and then ricocheted right in. After Justin Semero tripping penalty, Johnny Ruiz scored a power play goal to make it Two to nothing. I can't remember the last time leading up to this game that the Black Bears were actually down by two goals. That's how good they had been eight, nine games in a row. Uh, however, the Don, Donald Oliveri, got the Black Bears on the score sheet with a power play goal at the 17-34 mark. At the end of the second period, the Hattricks had a 2-1 lead. Quickly in the third period, though, Jacob Ratcliffe made a three make it made it a three one lead at the one oh eight mark. So that was pretty quick. It was just like boom, there it was. There's that goal. The Blackbirds would pull Taylor Joseph at the sixteen forty two mark for an extra tacker. A little less than a minute later, at the seventeen thirty four mark, Mac Lewis got a greasy extra attacker goal to make this game a one goal affair. Okay, so we're at one goal. That's why I said the, the score sheet does not do it justice. Uh, with Joseph pulled again for the extra tactic, the hat trick scored two more goals, both empty netters off the sticks of Johnny Ruiz and Tobias Ojek. Uh, game ended with the Hattricks getting the 5-2 win, tying the series, enforcing a deciding third game on Monday. 
Uh, Donald Oliveri was the only black bear with a multi-point night with a power play goal and assist on Mac Lewis's goal. Tyson Kirkby, Tyler Jurich, and Austin Thompson and Chad Lopez were scoreless tonight. This was key to this game. They kept those four guys off the score sheet. If the black bears hoped to win, which they didn't, they needed these four guys to score, get on the score sheet for the third game. So what went wrong for the black bears? You're right. This is a big question that everyone's probably wondering. We looked so good the first game. What happened? Well, Danbury plugged the lanes. They got in front of Brian Wilson and pushed the Black Bears to the perimeter for the majority of the game. They also played the trap. If everyone remembers what Jersey did, they you would just plug up the neutral zone. Well, you can do that in each section of the ice. You can actually play the trap in all three sections. It's just a philosophy of where you put your players and how you position them. And they did that. And they did it well. And it worked. And you didn't have Coach Kleinendorf from the 2011 Calder Cup champions who was part of the New Jersey Devil system when they implemented the trap to figure out how to defeat that. It's hard to do. You need to have the right players. Now, I think the Black Bears had the right players. But unless you're pulling back and looking at the video from high above, you're really not seeing that it's happening unless you're watching it. If you're down on the ice, it's sometimes hard to see that a team has implemented the trap. But they kind of did that, and they did it very well. Uh, Brian Wilson made some big saves. Let's be honest. He is a big save kind of goaltender. He's one of the best, if not the best, goaltender. Trav, I will have to disagree with you on this. It's not Trevor Babin. It's Brian Wilson that's the best goaltender in this league. That's just my opinion, but I'll stick by it. Black Bears still had 35 shots on that. However, only 12 of those were grade A, strung along basically all three periods. A little frustration set in for the Black Bears. Not that they blew up and did anything bad, um, but they, they, you could see it. They were rushing shots. They, were, they, they, they weren't taking the best shots they could take, unfortunately. Um, and they needed to forget that moving on into the next game, and I think they did that for the most part, but they just couldn't get on the score sheet. Taylor Joseph made some great saves tonight on Saturday night and kept the Black Bears in the game all night. This was Taylor's first loss in 10 games. That's pretty pretty crazy to think about it. All right, so game three, we all know what happened. Uh, 3-1 in Danbury, a loss. Monday night, they lose the series 2-1. Let's talk a little bit about this game. Coach Sherwood mixed up the lines to try to spark some energy into the team. Justin Samarow. Um, Samaro, I think I'm pronouncing it wrong. Brooks, you really messed me up on that one, but that's okay. Um, it happens. I'll have to relearn the name and everything. Uh, scored his first power play, power, power. Wow. He f- scored his first playoff goal at the 314 mark on his new line with Tyson Kirkby and Gavin Yates. Yates credited with the lone assist on the goal early on in the first period. Matthew Ballard and Tobias Ocek, uh, dropped the gloves. I really wish it was a longer fight than it was, but that's just me. Uh, the hat tricks tied it back up with uh, one of Dan Barry's, uh, Michael Marshall's fifth goal of the playoffs. Uh, the first period ended with the two teams tied at one. Binghamton had the uh, shots on goal lead of 14 to 10. I think at that point, everyone was like, okay, this isn't going to turn out to be like the uh, the game on Saturday, right? Um, but the first period ended up with the two teams tied at one. Okay, so Binghamton had the shot lead, 14-10. to 10. In the second period, came and went with no scoring. 
this is where you kind of get worried, right? And yes, Binghamton's had some interesting second period games where they come out, uh, they're not skating as hard, you know, maybe the legs are just not there, whatever it is, but they always turned it around in the third period, right? So shots on goal were also limited to just five for the Black Bears and eight for the Hattricks, and I really, truly believe the Black Bears uh, got caught in those tra- in the trap again, unfortunately, with the... Um, the Danbury Hattricks. So we move on. Um, both teams in the second period hit the post or the crossbar at least twice. Danbury was playing a version of the trap which showed slowed Binghamton down again, passing and moving the puck as effectively as they normally would. As they headed into the third period, everything was all tied up at one, and Binghamton had 19 to an 18 shot goal lead. Brendan Dowler then broke the tie in the third period with a goal at the 8.42 mark. Ruiz and Bono had the assist on the goal. And then there was Tobias Ocek at the 19.53 mark of the third period with an empty net goal. If we go back to game three of last season, Tobias was the number one star of the game and certainly one of the reasons why they won. So let me talk a little bit more about the Tobias Ocek and the... JT Walter situation. I already talked about it. I really think there should have been a suspension of some sort. To me, he was just negligent in the way he pulled that stick out without thinking. You got blood all over the place. I don't think I've seen them clean up blood like that since the Whaler days. Um, you know, on a, on, a, on a rink. That was just... I'm sure there's been other instances where people have had a lot of blood on, uh, you know, and everything. But that was just a little crazy there, if you think about it. Um, so let's talk about the three-game series a little bit, okay? And uh, here's here's my thoughts. The Black Bears had the Hattricks both. The the Black Bears and the Hattricks both scored nine goals in the series. So pretty much a tie there. Uh, Wilson and Joseph were both equally deserving of being named MVP for this series. Taylor Joseph's numbers for the playoffs, 3-2, and two, a 1.83 goals against average, and a 94 save percentage, best in the playoffs to date. There's nobody that has a better record, better numbers right now than him. The only thing he doesn't have is that fourth win. That's it. Brian Wilson is 4-1 and one with a 2.4 goals against average and a 92 save percentage. So in the first two, the first two uh, pl- uh, playoff series, Brian Wilson looked good. And trust me, he had to look good. But let's be honest, Taylor Joseph looked better. It just doesn't have that fourth win. The Hattrick shut down the Tyler Jurich, Tyson Kirkby, and Gavin Yates in games two and three. And that was a big key to win this series for the for the uh, Danbury Hattricks. The one game Daniel Ansbury game one played in, he was effective. He targeted Connor Smith when he needed to, receiving a kneeing major, and then did not play again. I know people think that the whole Hattricks team is dirty, but Ansbury leads the way. What he says off the ice on podcasts and what he does on the ice are two different things. You can be friends with him. I'm friends with guys who are tough players who played in the American Hockey League. I can call them up, talk to them right now. We can talk about bad situations. Bobby Robbins, Jimmy Bono, Brett Gallant. These are really great guys. Doesn't mean anything 
when you go on the ice and you repeatedly injure people. That is Daniel Ansbury. That's not Bobby Robbins. That's not Jimmy Bono. That's not Brett Kalan. They don't go out and injure guys. They're tough guys. They're fighters. That's how they take care of business. He takes care of business in a way that I just don't think a lot of people like. And again, he is going out there and consciously or subconsciously doing something. He targeted Connor Smith. The way he skates towards him, he's not playing the puck. He was playing to injure somebody. And if you disagree, then you disagree. If you agree, then great. Uh, second year in the row that the hat tricks have eliminated the Black Bears in the playoffs. This is what builds rivalries like Binghamton versus Rochester or Binghamton versus Wilkes-Barre. Now you're going to say Binghamton versus Danbury. And that's really what it comes down to. Okay? so And that's, that's not a bad thing. Uh, fans in visiting arenas. Okay, so I've been reading a lot of stuff online. And... I got to be honest with you. If you don't know what you're going into when you go into Wilkes-Barre when you're a Binghamton fan or you go into Rochester and you're a Binghamton fan, especially in the 80s, 90s, and 2000s for those two teams, then I don't know what to say. Okay? You go into Danbury. This is a very legendary, hostile environment for anybody. This is like playing in college and going to Cornell and dealing with the rants. The players are going to hear it, and the fans are going to hear it. There is a fine line of how hard you cheer when you go into a hostile environment. That you have to think about. No one deserves to be struck when they go to a game. So no, I do not believe that anybody should be attacked, physically assaulted, or anything like that. However, How hard you cheer when you go into a hostile environment is solely on you. And you have to remember that. Also, no fan base is 100% innocent. I posted on Facebook where the Rochester Americans and the Binghamton Whalers had a brawl. And the fans in Rochester attacked the Binghamton Whalers or a Whaler player attacked the fan. And then it started a huge brawl in the fans in the stands. This happened in the 1980s, and it, it this is just how it's going to be. So if you go to Danbury and you're a Binghamton fan, you can wear your jersey. You can even pl- applaud. But when you go to a hostile environment and you act the way some fans act because they feel they can do that and not see retribution. No, it's not right that the drummer was there pounding the drum in there and security needs to get involved and you need to do better. Hitting the drum out of there is going to get a reaction. I think it sucks. I think the guy who hit the guy with the drumstick probably should be punished in some way. You right? Banned from the arena, charged with assault, whatever you want to call it. Okay? But fans, you just got to know the limits a little bit. All right? So... That's it. That's the series. We lost. Move on. Not every fan base is bad, though. Not every fan in a hostile environment is bad. You have to look at both sides of it. Not, you know, saying, saying that the fan, you know, the fans in Danbury don't deserve a hockey team 
or the Danbury fans saying fans in Binghamton don't deserve a hockey team because they don't understand a hostile. Uh, none of that. That's BS. This is a small contingent of people that are just bad apples. We have them in Binghamton. If you don't believe me, there are stories out there. People can talk about it. Some of the things that have happened. So before I move on to the next parts of breaking down this season a little bit and whatnot, I want to play a couple excerpts from the Gino D'Angelo interview and from the Tyson Kirkby interview. So I want to just, you know, play these for you. Give me a little bit of a break. And you guys, I will be back in just a little bit to talk a little bit about more about this season uh, that the Binghamton Black Bears just changed. So I'll be right back, right here on the Power Play Show in just a few minutes. Yeah. First of all, don't even worry about who, who, who you guys played against. What was that like yeah. for you to skate out on that ice? I believe it was a capacity crowd, and you're thinking to yourself, yeah. wait, wait, I'm Gina D'Angelo, and I'm playing in Binghamton <laughs> on the ice that I've played on before, but not in this capacity. What was that feeling like? I honestly don't think I thought about it until after. <laughs> I was uh, the nerves were definitely at play a little bit um, the first couple of games there, but yeah, I mean it's just the electric feeling, you know. You you get chills in your body. It's just like that. And yeah, and you look up and you're like, wow, this this is actually happening, you know. And I I just I remember taking a deep breath and just enjoying and just appreciating to being there. Like it was. It's all I wanted, you know, and looking around and seeing the fans screaming, and it's just, yeah, it's everything a kid could want. How important has the last two years been, you know, to to have your dad helping you along the way, whether it's just moral support or just, you know, calling him up and saying, Dad, uh, I'm thinking about this, you know, everything. How important is that? Oh, it, it means the world to me, you know. Um, I've had his support since day one. Um, the first day I, I decided that, you know, I wanted to go and play pro hockey and leave school a semester early. Um, he was he was totally on board. I've had his support since day one. Um, I probably wouldn't have gotten to where I've gotten without him. You know, mm-hmm. like I said, he was the one. While I'm in school taking classes, writing tests and practicing, he was on the phone taking time from his job to call teams in the SPHL and get my name out there, you know, um, put my name on the map. And so for him, it's kind of, you know, it's kind of his success is my success, right? And uh, it's nice. I'm only about four, four and a half hours from home, so my yeah. family actually gets down to most of the home games in Binghamton. Um, Watertown's even closer. You know, Elmira's not too far. So I'm fortunate enough now that I'm back in New York. Um, they come to a lot of the games. And, of course, that was uh, Tyson Kirkby. And just before him was a little uh, bit from Gino D'Angelo. Um, it was great talking to both of these players and a couple late-season interviews for me, uh, which was pretty cool as well. Um, so I, I plan on doing a lot more uh, of those kind of interviews where you can get to know some of these players, which is pretty cool. All right, uh, moving on. 13 players can be protected by the Black Bears. 13 could be picked up by the new expansion team uh, in Virginia and Baton Rouge. Let me rephrase that. 13 players can be protected, and then whoever else is on your active roster obviously could then be picked up in the new expansions uh, draft, which will be happening in a couple weeks. 
Uh, this is for the new teams in Virginia and Baton Rouge. Now, of course, if Delaware does not play uh, next season, then more than likely uh, a lot of those players can be split up as well. So there might be less people leaving. I believe they can choose like up to two people maybe. I don't know. Um, I'm not really sure exactly on the rules on that, but that doesn't really matter. But we can protect 13 players. So who are some of the players that we could protect or should protect, right? You know, um, well, I, I would say this. I would protect Taylor Joseph. Now, if he comes back, if he doesn't go to the SPHL or to the ECHL, he's definitely one of the guys. In the regular season, Taylor Joseph's numbers were 11-2-2 with a 3.0 goals against average and a 91 save percentage. In the playoffs, I've already read them off, 3-2-1.83, save percentage. Pretty darn good from Taylor Joseph coming out and done really well. Connor Smith, regular season numbers, 5-3. and three. Uh, five, three, and eight for eight points. So five goals, three assists for eight points. Six goals, uh, six games played. Playoff numbers were oh one and one. So basically one assist for one point. Three games played, but then he got injured. Chad Lopez regular season numbers: sixteen goals, twenty nine assists, forty five points in thirty one games played. Phenomenal pickup. I think uh, Brent Sherwood did a really good job there. Playoff numbers were. Four, three, seven in five games. He was the best offensive player in the playoffs for the Binghamton Black Bears. I think all three of these guys have a chance to make it up to the SPHL or the ECHL. I really do. Now, goaltending wise, it's it's a little bit harder to get up there if you're not signed by an NHL club or an AHL club, you know, as one of the backups. It's very difficult to get one of those six spots, right? Because you got two spots in the NHL. Two spots in the AHL, two spots in the ECHL. You times that by the 31, 32 teams, you know, so on and so forth. It's it's kind of it, it's it's not easy to make it up there. But Taylor Joseph is good enough. He could see an SPHL, or he stays here because he knows he's going to get the playing time. Uh, that'll be the interesting thing. But Connor Smith, Chad Lopez, also great shots at making it up to the SPHL or the ECHL. So other than those three guys that I think they should protect, here are the other three guys that I think should be protected. Now, again, I want everyone to understand, this is subjective, right? This is not something that, you know, everybody, you know, what if we have a different coach? What if Brent Sherwood goes somewhere else? They make a decision to go somewhere, uh, go a different way than Brent Sherwood, right? This is subjective because every coach might have their different views on this. But I think the three of the guys that they definitely should protect in the FPHL to keep them on this team, one is Nikita Ayavashkin. All-time, he has 91 goals, 73 assists, 164 points in 93 games played. He is the highest scoring offensive forward in Binghamton Black Bears history in the two years, okay? If he would be allowed to come back, I you know his he needs to be on the protective list. His ability to score is unmatched in the FBHL. Best goal scorer in the FBHL. Period. Okay, he's better than everybody that is playing in the league to be able to score goals. His ability and his skill was unmatched. Period. He would have broke probably some sort of record this year if he played in all the games. 
Tyson Kirkby, regular season numbers, 30 goals, 36 assists, 66 points, 50 games played. If I'm allowed to have a favorite player, it's probably Tyson Kirkby. I just like the way he plays. Him and Nikita Ivashkin, love the way they play. Tyson's a little bit grittier than Nikita, but, man, they both can score at this level, and I love it. Austin Thompson is the other guy I think they really should protect. Regular season numbers, 29 goals, 27 assists, 56 points, and 49 games played. This guy can do everything on the ice. He's a two-way forward that can score and pass and make plays. I like him a lot. He should be on there. Again, this is all subjective, right? But these are the guys that really stood out. Here are the Black Bears' leaders, okay, this year. So goals, Nikita Ivashkin had 35 goals and 37 assists. Assists, Gavin Yates, 37 and 42 games. Points was Tyler Church, 69. I don't think I've seen that really that often, where three different players lead in all three of those categories. It's pretty cool. Tyler Church, 69 points. He had 32 goals and 37 assists in 43 games. Power play goals was Austin Thompson and Tyler Jersh. Both had 10 power play goals on the season, so they tied. Plus minus uh, was Tyler Jersh with 50. Uh, shots on goal was Tyler Jersh with 209 shots on goal. Wins was Riley McVay with 13 wins. People forget. He had a pretty good run there for a while. Uh, goals against average, uh, Taylor Joseph with a 3.06. And... Save percentage was Taylor Joseph with 91%. So those were the Black Bears leaders in the regular season uh, for this year. Here are my thoughts on the second season. Now I'm gonna this is a little bit of grading. Please don't get pissed. Please don't send me all the hate mail. But this is how I looked at it. And it's really all not that bad. So don't worry. I don't think you can fault the players in a lot of what on this season circumstances are what they are. There were a few games that certainly had some meltdowns, but considering some of the issues in the FBHL with inconsistent officiating and lack of transparency within the league, I'd still give the players here an A-plus for the season. Let me tell you why. Number one offense, number one power play, and considerably better defense, and without a doubt, the goaltending improved. 56 games... They had 36 wins, a franchise record, 15 losses and five overtime losses, 110 points, and a 655 points percentage. They had 285 goals scored, which was the highest in the league, and 195 goals against, which was a considerable drop from last year. So I gave them an A+. I thought the players did as well as they could. You know, in the circumstances, there were changes. There were people that left, people that got suspended, people that came, you know. I mean, and there was no other player that played on this team that played on a different FPHL team this year. Pretty crazy, huh? Elmira had like 10 people play on different teams than Elmira this year, where Binghamton had zero. I just really think that the players did a good job. I give them an A+. Does that mean they have room for improvement? Of course it does. Not that much. You can't score 285 goals and be the top in the league and have that much more room to improve. Maybe a little bit better defense, right? Maybe maybe everybody can play a little bit better defense. But isn't that the case in the whole FBHL? I think so. I think everybody in the FBHL could just play a little bit better defense. All right, so the coaching staff. 
This is a tough one, right? Because there's a lot of opinions about the coaching staff. This is my thoughts. This is my podcast. I'm going to say it the way I want to say it. Gary Gill, Brent Sherwood, and Tom Reynolds. This was a big topic for the Black Bears fans this season after Gary Gill left the team to take care of a family member. Brent Sherwood then came in. However, started to change the team dynamic and make up with moving from a tough and rumble style to bringing in more of the young college kids with speed. That's my opinion. That I, And if I have a chance to ask Brent Sherwood if he was trying to move the team into that direction, I will. And if I'm wrong, he's going to tell me. Now, this is the only to say that these were all his decisions, but not Andreas as well. We don't know that. It could have been Andreas that made some of these decisions. And we know for a fact, because he said it here on the Power Play Bo Show, it was Gino's decision because he was not getting as much playing time as he wanted. So he went and said, I would like my release. And he went to Almira. That was obviously something that he knew was going to happen. However, when the season was over, with the team was still performing, seemed to be playing for him and not against him. So the people who don't like Brant Sherwood, you need to understand the players showed no sign for not playing for him. They played for him this year. So regardless of what you think, because he left, made, made, made fan favorites leave, you have to understand something. Coaches are in a really hard position, and they're not there to please the fans. They're there to win championships and even if you are upset that they didn't win the championship it doesn't mean a coaching staff didn't do well they did okay uh and yeah i i probably questioned a couple things in my head and maybe even a couple things on facebook but again at the end of the day i am allowed to criticize from day to day what somebody does, whether it be Brent Sherwood, whether it was Gary Gill, or hell, even if it was Andreas Johansson. I'm allowed to criticize. But at the end of the day, what I've determined was his plan worked the way I think he wanted it to. He brought some better legs, some speed, and he capitalized. And guess what? His team at the end of the day was the number one team on the power play. Number one team in the league in goals scored. That's a credit to him. He coached more games than Gary Gill did. Think about that, folks. He coached more games than Gary Gill did. As a fan favorites, uh, yes, the fan favorites and the hometown players were gone. But the team still was a top four team and maybe number two below the hat tricks. I give the coaching staff an A minus. Room for improvement, but I don't think it was all that bad in the end. And that's all three of those coaches. And the player coaches, I I don't know what they did. You know, I mean, I don't know how they they probably helped run practices or whatever. But I look at Gary Gill, Brand Sherwood, and Tom Reynolds. And Tom, for sticking up for your player, good for you. That that one game suspension was worth it, without a doubt. If you told the FBHL where to go, and I'm guessing that's pretty much probably what you did at some point to somebody. You told them where to, where where the sun doesn't shine. So now let's look at the organization as a whole, okay? And I'm going to amend something because I had a conversation today with uh, with somebody that I I just want to say um, a, a nice remark about the organization as a whole. Right now, the Binghamton Black Bears are the class of the FPHL from the arena 
in which all the players say they love to play here, to the Black Bear staff, which starts with Andreas. This right now is the tops in the FPHL. And the credit of this goes to the staff and the fans at the same right. They had 107,236 fans, an average of 38-30 through 28 games. This is number one in the league. And a testament to the staff that work almost every day to get the fans through the turnstiles. I just want to let everyone know, I'm going to be talking about this in a later podcast this summer. I will have more about the attendance this season in a write-up for WithBinghamtonHockey.net and on a podcast and how it compares to the last 15 seasons of Binghamton Hockey. I have the numbers. I have a spreadsheet that's big, and it's mine. It's proprietary information that I'm going to keep because I've worked on some of the formulas and the calculations. This is, in the last 15 years, one of the best seasons Binghamton hockey has had. You may not like the FPHL, some elitists out there, and you know who I'm talking to. And if you listen to my show, you know I'm talking to you. Okay? You may not like the FPHL, but there are fans that are coming and watching. Why? Because of this organization. What has this organization done? They have engaged the fans. It's something the Devils hardly did, and that's not a knock on Rob Lopolis. It's not a knock on Tom Mitchell. I know both of those men very well. But when you get stuck in routines as an organization and you don't change things up and you don't try to improve, things get stale. Plus, another thing that I'm going to defend uh, Rob Opolis and Tom Mitchell, they also didn't have the players. It was the fourth, uh, it was the third season at the end, just before COVID. Things were getting hot, and everybody thought, well, the Binghamton Devils are going to go far in the playoffs. They might have gone really far in the playoffs, but COVID stopped that. And that's part of it. The players are part of this organization. They went out there, they were the number one offense, number one power play. Again, I've already said that multiple times tonight. But those guys are part of the reason why the organization did so well with the fans and how many fans that came out. And the fans love these players. So the elitists out there, you can knock on the FBHL. You can knock on the Black Bears. You can do all that. But they're reaching the fans better than the Devils did and better than the Sens did at the end. And the numbers prove it. If you don't believe me, You'll see. I'm going to have the numbers in writing, and I'm going to have the numbers here on a podcast. So that's that. I give the organization as a whole an A. I also want to talk about Brooks Hill. A radio change from Rambo Polis, who obviously was here through uh, the Devils and even part of the final season of the Binghamton Senators. From game to game, Brooks Hill improved every game, and I think he's going to continue to improve. And Brooks Hill did a really good job in the broadcast booth. I think this was his first first full year as a professional broadcaster after coming out of college. And he did a great job. And honestly, I know that Rob really pushed for him to get this job. And he did well. Right, you know, I I think I think in the beginning there was some technical issues with you know uh, working with the radio station and getting on air and everything. But otherwise, I listened to every single broadcast. Brooks, you did a very good job. All right, um, so I just want to say that I also want to do a shout out to Julia Demola. 
Uh, she is the community outreach, and that's what she handles, you know, getting the players out into the community and doing those events, school readings, whatever it is, right? Julie, you did a phenomenal job. Uh, you're part of that organization. There's a lot of great uh, members, you know, ticket salespeople and everything. Uh, but, Julie, I, I just want to let you know that you, when you do the work that you do and you do it well, the engagement really brings the fans into the stands, okay? So people people don't always give the community uh, market manager a lot of credit. They work really hard. And so uh, my grade for the organization was an A, you know? I think the only way we could improve that is win the championship, right? You guys win the championship, and I'll, I'll give you an A+, plus, right? I don't, I don't care. You you can burn down the arena and then play uh, play in a in the BCC win the championship. I'll still give you an A plus. Please don't burn down the arena. It's been there for fifty years. Um, so, but that's 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 it, guys. You know, first uh, second second season, I think the Black Bears as a whole just improved across the board. Right, the attendance went from three thousand a fan to thirty eight thirty a fan. I mean, come on. I mean, that's eight hundred more fans. I mean, you can comp tickets, but you're not comping another 800 tickets. I'm sorry, you're just not. They did really well. I think they had a couple sellouts, matched the sellout record of uh, last year. So, But there's probably more 75% capacity and above, and there's more 90% capacity and above than there was the year before, and that makes a difference. I think the Black Bears did a really good job in the second season. I really wish we could have seen them go up against the Carolina Thunderbirds. They will be going up against the Danbury Hattricks instead, um, but that is just the way it is. Um, but next week, I hope to have a guest on the show, um, someone from, um, you know, you know some, something very interesting. I'm thinking about it. I thought about it all day today and uh, just have to make the arrangements to, to make that happen. Um, but I'm going to be here for another few weeks, uh, doing shows regularly. Uh, I will be going on vacation one of the days. Still might do a show. You still might hear from me, but I don't know. It depends on if I can get some interesting interviews, right? You know, do a a few interesting interviews up until near the end of the playoffs for, uh, the NHL and the AHL. I don't know if I'll go all the way into June, but I'm definitely going to go deep into May, get a few more episodes under my belt, uh, this is only the eighth episode this season. Normally, in the old days, I'd get about, I don't know, 25, 30 episodes in a season. So either way, I'm going to try to get a few more in um, before I kind of take that summer break and come in with a, an episode or two. Now I'm just rambling. Thank you for listening. Check out Spotify. Subscribe if you haven't subscribed. Uh, go to Apple Podcasts if that's the one you're doing. Make sure you use, uh, subscribe so you get the you know when the new episodes are coming out. I hope to have a, ne- a guest next week. You can always email me at bob at binghamtonhockey.net or info at binghamtonhockey.net. And also check out binghamtonhockey.net. It is my the, the website. This is the history of Binghamton Hockey all in one place. You don't have to go digging around for things. It's all easily organized results and information and stuff like that is all right there at binghamtonhockey.net. So make sure you check that out. I don't, I don't, I don't think I've pushed it once in the, the uh, first seven episodes. So I think everybody should definitely check it out. And, of course, you know this is the uh, Power Play Post Show. Uh, thanks for listening, and I'll talk to you guys definitely next week right here 
on the Power Play Post Show. Thanks for listening to this edition of the Power Play Post Show. Be sure to tune in next week from the Box Studios Radio Network to keep up to date with the latest news, scores, and interviews by visiting www.pppshow.net. You've been listening to the Power Play Post Show.